0: Welcome everyone to church this morning. Um, if you just want to um, join with us in some prayer as we just commit today to our Father. Heavenly Father, you tell us where two or three are gathered in your name that you're there in their midst. So we just receive your presence today, Lord. We just want to sit and soak in your presence, Father and allow you to minister to us. Um, You know where we're at today, Lord. You know where our hearts are. You know what our experiences are. You know what our worries are, Lord. And so we just surrender everything to you today, Lord. Search us and know our hearts, Father. Teach us today, Lord. Father God, we just pray that you'll, you'll break off anything that is, um, that's preventing us from drawing near to you today. And that we can come before you boldly with confidence, Father. Knowing that you love us and you did everything for us. Today is a day of rest with our Father in heaven.
1: Jesus, Jesus, precious Lord Not on the earth nor heavens above That I have found more beautiful You are my treasure Jesus, precious Lord, none on the earth nor heavens above, that I have found more beautiful, you are my treasure. I just wanna stay me. He loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. your affections I for me chest. Just... No, we are his portion He is our prize Drawn to redemption By the grace in his eyes If grace is in ocean We're all sinking And heaven meets earth Like an unforeseen kiss And my heart turns violently Inside of my chest And I don't have time to Contain these regrets when I think about To roam and wander in the dark Let your kindness draw me near Keep me here Teach me how to trust Laid out on the altar of your love Let your mercy draw me near Keep me here For I know I was created To be loved and overtaken All-consuming fire Oh God, you are an all-consuming fire Set me ablaze In some shape.
2: Jesus thank you, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your precious, precious life that you poured out for us, you're so high, you're so holy, you humbled yourself, came down to our level that you may lift us up. We thank you for the lifting of men. Thank you for lifting us. You've lifted us up from our sin. You've lifted us up from our depravity. And for that we are eternally grateful. You have put a new song in our mouths. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for filling our hearts with joy that never leaves. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for making us happy even when circumstances don't go our way. We thank you for the true joy of heaven that can never be taken from us. The joy that you give us is not dependent on anything earthly or anything outwardly, and we we are so grateful. Nothing can take that from us. Thank you for heaven. Thank you that heaven has come down. A king. Just the Lord was showing me a couple things uh, in the in the spirit. Uh, maybe for some someone out there, uh, you feel like you're going through a dark uh, corridor right now that's enclosed, and you are asking questions, "Why?" And the Lord says, "Just keep keep walking." Uh, Keep, keep moving ahead and you'll see that there's a door uh, in front of you at the end of that corridor it's a season in your life that uh, you're going through but uh, and <clears throat> the door is actually it's not uh, pleasing to you it's not something that looks desirable and you're fearful of entering that door the Lord says go through go through that door and you'll find uh, a wide open uh, place, place of um, yeah prosperity and a place of freedom in every area in your life. Uh, the Lord also showed me another picture of a an oyster uh, that was very, very uh, ugly, very nothing, uh, nothing to look at, and yeah, he just that's the way you see yourself uh but you're not looking at the reality because inside that oyster the lord sees this pearl uh that is that is forming and we know pearls form inside oysters when when a grain of sand gets in the oyster and causes friction and rubbing together and it calcifies or and creates this beautiful pearl and it's Through that discomfort that you maybe feel maybe you're going through that discomfort, and all you see is just this ugly oyster. But the Lord wants you to see in the spirit. He doesn't want you to look anymore through your natural senses. He wants you to see yourself as He sees you. And He's forming a beautiful pearl in you, a pearl of great price that He's going to bring into His house and into His treasury. You are His prize. You are His precious possession. So do not despise the day of uh, small things and insignificant things. And uh, do not question my path for you, says the Lord. My hand upon you is to create something beautiful in you. Just want to release that over somebody today. So, Jesus, we just give you our lives. We thank you. Where two or more are gathered, you are here with us. Thank you, Lord. We present to you our lives a willing offering, a sacrifice, well pleasing your sight thank you Jesus so Lord we've come here today to to hear from your word and we just humble ourselves now and we open our ears to hear your word give us hearts to, to listen thank you for the instruction that we're going to receive in Jesus name Amen.
3: Amen. Well, hey, church. Uh, my name is Tess, if I haven't met you. And um, I have the honor and privilege of sharing the word of God with you this morning. So um, a few weeks ago I was sitting on the beach uh, spending time with the Lord and uh, I suddenly felt the Lord drop a sermon into my heart. And I've had this before um, with words for people or uh, spoken words or poetry but I've never had it uh, with a sermon. I've never received a sermon from the Lord in this way. Uh, So I went home and I wrote out what the Lord had given me. And I finished writing and I felt like this was a word for you, for harvest. Uh, But I just trusted it to the Lord and I literally told the Lord, I was like, Lord, if this is a word for harvest and if you want me to preach this word, then I trust that you will speak to Pastor Jules and Pastor Jules will message me and tell me you have a word for harvest. Well, uh, on Tuesday morning, Pastor Jules messages me and says, Morning, Tess, I feel like you have a message for the church. Love <laughs> you to release that one Sunday before lockdown finishes. Pray about it and let me know. <laughs> so um, I say that to say that the Lord is so faithful and uh, he hears your prayers and he hears your heart. Um, but I also really believe that this message is straight from the Lord for you in this time. And so um, I am so excited to just simply be the deliverer of that message. Uh, So I'm just going to quickly pray before we start. Yeah, Jesus, I just thank you so much for your goodness. Father, I thank you that you are such a good and kind Father. I just um, thank you for this message this morning, Lord. I ask that you would help me to communicate your word clearly And I pray for soft hearts and open ears. Yeah, we just thank you, Lord, that your word does not return void, Lord, but it accomplishes everything that you intend it to accomplish. And so I just declare that, um, yeah, over us this morning, Lord, that you would accomplish whatever you intend to accomplish in us this morning. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, this morning, I want to share with you about... The blood of Jesus. So uh, sometimes as Christians we can talk about or pray about the blood of Jesus and yet not entirely know what we're really talking about. (laughs) And I've been there before. Uh, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus or we settle for less than what Jesus paid for, either because we don't understand the power in the blood. Or we don't fully understand what the sacrifice of Jesus meant. Um, I am incredibly passionate about Jesus and what he did for you and me. And so I can't wait to share with you this morning. Uh, May get a little bit passionate over here. So I hope that's okay with you. So when I was little, uh, I had these two next door neighbours, two sisters. Uh, They were just a few years younger than me and we were best friends. We would play together basically every day. And one day, Jess, the older of the sisters, uh, she was playing outside on the concrete driveway. And she tripped and fell over and grazed her leg. Now, it really wasn't that bad. It was just a small graze and a small amount of blood dripping out. But Alicia, the younger one, she began to panic. And she came running over to my parents, freaking out, and uh, she stuttered out. She was like, Jess, 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 just got blood. <laughs> now, obviously, it wasn't quite the dire situation that Alicia had perceived it to be. It was simply a small graze and easily covered with a band aid. But um, I was reflecting back on this story and I started to wonder why Alicia was so distressed that Jess had lost blood. Why is blood so important? why do we even need it? Uh, Well, I was homeschooled and so I learned the things that I wanted to learn and forgot about everything else. Uh, In my case, that was science. And so I had to actually have a quick Google search. Um, So I typed in purpose of blood in human body so I could be well informed. Uh, Turns out we actually need blood to keep us alive, uh, which is good to know. So Blood brings oxygen and nutrients to all parts of the body so they can keep working. Blood carries carbon dioxide and other waste materials to the lungs, kidneys and digestive system to be removed from the body. It also fights infections and carries hormones around the body, which is pretty important stuff. Um, This is all from kidshealth.org, by the way. So, So when Jess fell over... Um, Alicia was panicking because blood is vital, right? It's a life or death situation if you lose too much blood or if your blood is infected or contaminated. Now, Alicia probably didn't quite realise the extent of it at that young age, but she was innately aware that something was not good about losing blood, So we're starting to understand a little bit more about the importance of blood, but what about Jesus? What is so significant about the blood of Jesus? Well, hold that thought. Um, let's backtrack slightly. And by slightly, I mean uh, right to the beginning of creation. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. <clears throat> now, by this point, God has created Adam, and he hasn't yet created Eve And he's just taken Adam and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Amongst other plants and trees, the Lord put two particular trees in the garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Although God had commanded Adam to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he still put that tree there. Even though the Lord knew the consequences if Adam ate from that tree. And love is a choice. Love is not actually true love if there's no option or no freedom to choose it. That's simply dictatorship. So we go down to chapter 3 and we read about the fall. What happened? Well, remember what blood does. It carries life. But if blood gets contaminated, it's fatal. Adam and Eve had been eating from the tree of life. Their spiritual blood carried life. But when they ate from the tree, their spiritual blood became contaminated and they became spiritually dead. Genesis 2.15 says, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, it wasn't as if they had just dropped dead instantly as soon as they ate from the tree. It wasn't just a physical death that the Lord was talking about. It was spiritual too. The moment they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the moment they chose to disobey God's command, because remember the Lord lets us freely choose him, they became spiritually dead. And after that moment, in Genesis 3.22, the Lord says, "...the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil." He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing to and fro to guard the way to the tree of life. See, trying to then eat from the tree of life after eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would not have reversed the effects. Eating from the tree of life would have doomed them to an eternal state of sin and death. And so in God's mercy, he removes them from the garden. And as a consequence of their sin, they come under a curse. We read this in Genesis 3, verse 16 to 19. To the woman, the Lord said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I had commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the main elements in this story of the fall are a tree a curse, thorns, sweat, and death. I want you to remember that. that Sound familiar? (laughs) We're getting somewhere. So mankind are now spiritually dead. What does this mean? Well, if you've read any of the Old Testament, you would know that the Lord required blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices. So let's jump to Leviticus chapter 16. And this is where we start to find out about atonement. Now, I know we don't really use the word atonement in our everyday language, but the word means to reconcile, to make amends, or to satisfy a payment for wrongdoing. When you break the law of the land, there are consequences. You might pay a fine, or if it's really bad, you might go to jail. When we do something immoral or wrong, there is a consequence. And not necessarily even just external punishment, but a relationship might be severed or broken because of the action. Well, the consequence of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We serve a holy God. One who is without sin. It is not in his nature to sin. He is completely perfect. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And a sinful man could not stand in the presence of the holy God, the sinless one, and live. But the Lord so passionately wanted to be with his people the way that he had originally intended in the Garden of Eden. And so he comes up with this plan. So the Israelites, uh, they have a sanctuary, a tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was a room, which was the inner sanctuary, where the presence of God dwelt. And it was sectioned off by a huge, thickly woven curtain. This inner sanctuary was called the Holy of Holies. And it was so sacred that only one person could go behind that curtain And that was the high priest. And he could only go in once a year to make atonement for sins. And this had to be done in a particular way. And if anyone else went into the holy presence of God, they would die. So the high priest would first sacrifice a bull to atone for himself and for his family and the blood of the animal would cover and cleanse them from their sins. Next, he would sacrifice a goat to atone for the people of Israel, and the blood would cover and cleanse them from their sins. And finally, he would make atonement for objects such as the tabernacle and the altar. The consequence of their sin was death because their spiritual blood had become contaminated. And because of this, their relationship with God was severed and broken. A holy and perfect God could not dwell in unity with a sinful people. And so to satisfy that consequence, something or someone had to die in place. Hence, the sacrifice of animals to satisfy the consequence of their sin. The animals were a substitute. Atonement is a substitute of death for the ones who committed the crime, sin. So we go to Leviticus 17.11 and it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Leviticus 22, 19 to 21, three times. The Lord tells Moses that the lamb or the animal must be without defect or blemish to be an acceptable sacrifice. Three times. Now remember, life and death is in the blood. Adam and Eve's sin brought spiritual death. In order for mankind to be made right with God again, there had to be atonement of blood. For blood brings life. They were dead and needed life. So the Lord in His kindness and mercy and in His passion to be with His people, He gives them a short-term solution for atonement. Blood shed from an animal would be sufficient to atone short-term for their sin. And let me just note here, the animal sacrifices didn't remove their sin. It only covered their sin. We, we find this in Hebrews 10.4. It's like a band-aid, short term. Just like the Lord covered Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. So let's jump back a little bit to Exodus 12. Now, to give you some context, the book of Exodus is a historical book which tells the events of the Lord raising up Moses and bringing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. And there is so much we could talk about in this book, but I want to draw your attention to one particular story, and that is the Passover lamb. I'm sure many of you would know this story, uh, but in essence, the Israelites were living in slavery in Egypt. Moses had become their leader and the Lord tells Moses that he has heard the cry of the Israelites and has remembered his covenant with them. He tells Moses that he will free them from their slavery and give them the promised land. So the Lord tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, who is the Egyptian leader, and tell him to let God's people go, to leave the country. And Pharaoh refuses. And so the Lord sends plagues over Egypt until Pharaoh relents. By the time we get to Exodus 12, the Lord has sent nine plagues. And we reach the story of the Passover, which is the tenth and final plague. So the Lord explains to Moses that the final plague will be the plague on the firstborn. He gives Moses and Aaron instructions so that the Israelites would be protected from this plague. He instructs them that on the 10th day of that month, each man was to take a lamb for the family. And the lamb had to be without defect or blemish. They were to take care of the lamb for another four days until the 14th day of the month and uh, to, to ensure that the lamb really had no defect or blemish. And on the 14th day at twilight, they were to sacrifice the lamb, take some blood and put it on the doorposts of their house. Remember, life and death is in the blood. So in verse 12, it says, On the same night... I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt." At midnight, the Lord did as he said, and he struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. But those who had the blood of the lamb over their doorpost were protected. Those who were protected by the blood of the spotless lamb were granted life. And those who did not have the blood over the door were struck to death. Okay, now this is where we really start to get good. So let's jump over to the New Testament. And we start to make some connections. So let's start in John chapter 1, verse 29. Now, let me first explain here. We've just come out of the intertestamental period. And this is the period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, it is that little one page in your Bible, uh, the blank page. It's 400 years and it's often named the 400 years of silence. Because there was no prophets in that time. Between Malachi in 400 BC and John the Baptist in AD 25. No prophets. The Lord was silent. Jesus is now in the picture and John the Baptist is the first prophet out of that period of silence. And he has just been explaining to a crowd of people that he baptises with water And yet one is coming after him whose sandal straps he is unworthy to tie. So the next day, John sees Jesus walking towards him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember all this talk about the Lamb at Passover? Well, John has just recognised that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Remember back with Adam and Eve, we spoke about how the main elements in the story of the fall were a tree, a curse, thorns, sweat and death. Adam and Eve ate from the tree that the Lord had commanded them not to eat from. Well, in Galatians 3.13, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and he quotes here from Deuteronomy 21.23, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Our Lord Jesus was hung on a tree when he was crucified for our sins. Christ took on himself the curse from Genesis. Remember in Genesis 3.18, part of the curse is that the ground will produce thorns and thistles. Well, in Mark 15.17, the soldiers are mocking Jesus. It says they put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. We see as part of the curse that the Lord says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. Or in some translations it says your pain. I will greatly multiply your sorrow. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. And to the man God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Well, Isaiah 53 prophesies that Jesus was a man of many sorrows. He took upon himself the curse. In Genesis 3.19, we find out that part of the curse is that by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22, verse 42 to 44, Jesus says, "Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done." An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat his sweat was like drops of blood falling from the ground. This anguish that tormented Christ in the garden was the anguish that humanity had been under for thousands of years because of the curse, because of our rejection of God. He took upon himself the curse, the weight of sin and death. The word of God tells us that none of us are righteous, not even one. Psalm 53.3 says, Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. But because of Jesus, we no longer have to fight the struggle of anguish, for Christ redeemed us from that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just as the Israelites were in bondage to slavery in Egypt, we were all under spiritual bondage of a sin. And Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the Passover lamb. In the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb was to be chosen and set apart on the 10th day of the first month of Nisan. And Nisan is the first month of the Jewish calendar. Well, on the 10th day of the first month of Nisan, we read in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, hailed and set apart as the king of the Jews. At Passover, the lamb was to be inspected for four days until the 14th day of the month for any spot or blemish that might disqualify it as the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> Well, after Jesus entered Jerusalem on that 10th day, he openly taught in the temples and the synagogues until the 14th day of the month and no fault could be found in him. And at the appointed time, the Passover lambs were slain by the whole congregation of Israel. Jesus was delivered and publicly killed on a Roman crucifix as the Passover lambs were being slaughtered, One Peter 119 tells us that we were redeemed, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect or blemish. Jesus was crucified as the spotless lamb without defect or blemish on Passover. He was crucified during the time that Passover was observed. The first Passover marks the Hebrews' release from Egyptian slavery, and the death of Christ marks our release from the slavery of sin and death. Hebrews 9, 12-14 says he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. So obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? We go down a little to verse 19. It says, When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews ten eleven to 12 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was now sufficient and our own blood sacrifice was no longer necessary. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, by Adam's disobedience, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So what does this mean? Well, this is literally the most important thing for you to know. <laughs> so in John 11:25 to26, Jesus says, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies." And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Life and death is in the blood. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for your salvation. His blood is sufficient to purify you, to cleanse you and to wash you from all your sin. The blood of Jesus makes you white as snow, clean and pure. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. His sacrifice atoned for your sin once and for all. Everything you ever did and everything you will ever do is covered for and paid for by the blood of Jesus. You cannot earn it, you cannot strive for it, and you cannot do anything to work for it. It is a free gift. Through the blood of Jesus, you have access to the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple where the presence of God was. In the Old Testament, the only person who was able to go into this inner sanctuary behind a huge curtain was the high priest who made atonement for sins with the blood shed from an animal. Well, in Mark 15, 37 to 39, we read, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. What required a blood sacrifice of a lamb without defect to enter into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God? Jesus became that spotless lamb without blemish, and by his bloodshed, there was forgiveness of sins. The curtain from the temple was torn in two, and so now you and I have access to the very presence of God. Not because of anything we have done, but because of the blood of Jesus. We now have a boldness and confidence to enter into the very throne room of God. We can now draw near to him, having been cleansed from a guilty conscience by the blood of Jesus. You no longer have to stand at a distance. If you simply believe in Jesus... And that is the only requirement of our salvation. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, you have been declared righteous by his blood and you have eternal life. You are now covered in his blood, which has given you spiritual life. You have spiritual life flowing through your veins, your very DNA. You are no longer dead in sin. You have been made alive in Christ. You have redemption through His blood. You have been set free from the curse of the law by His blood. You have protection by the blood of Jesus. By His stripes, by His blood, you are healed. The blood of Jesus does not run dry It is not empty. It won't ever run out. It is an unlimited, inexhaustible, never-ending supply. Hebrews 2 verse 14 tells us that through death, Jesus destroyed the one who had the power over death. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. And you can now live from a place of victory And fight the good fight from a place of victory, not defeat. For because of the blood of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, you are now seated with Christ to rule and reign on the earth. His blood was the symbol of a new covenant. Until that point, the people were living under the old covenant, the Ten Commandments. And while those 10 commandments were great, they were designed to show the Israelites their need for a saviour. They could not live up to these commandments. And this is why we have communion, to remember the blood of Jesus and what he paid for. In Mark fourteen twenty four, Jesus says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The blood of Jesus is a reminder that you now live in victory. That the enemy has already been defeated in every area of your life. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Through the blood of Jesus, you have Redemption. You have fellowship with God, healing and protection, authority over the devil. Because of his bloodshed, your debt is paid once and for all. You are justified. You have been forgiven and spared from the wrath of God. You are healed. You are spiritually alive. You are cleansed. You are no longer under the curse of the law. You have been reclaimed from the grip of the enemy. You have gained the unmerited favour of God. You have been declared righteous. Your redemption shall never perish. You have been declared clean and freed from a guilty conscience. You are no longer condemned and you have been called out, set apart and declared holy to God. This is what Jesus paid for. This is what he purchased with his blood shed are you living out all that he paid for or do you have unclaimed promises As you can be saved and yet not be fully living in the fullness of victory that Christ paid for he paid for it but it's your choice to accept it are you still living in bondage to addictions When the blood of Jesus has set you free? Are you living enslaved to fear when you have been given the mind of Christ? Have you resorted to defeat when the blood of Jesus has given you victory? Are you putting up with sickness and diseases that the Lord has declared you healed from? Do you find yourself prone to the attacks of the enemy when the Lord has paid for protection over you? And are you still living dead in sin when you have been made alive in Christ? It's like being given an expensive Christmas present, purchased and paid for, and choosing to just put it on the shelf. And not open or use the gift. And sometimes we don't open the gift because we feel guilty for living in freedom. Knowing that we don't deserve the gift. But that's the very point. The precious, priceless blood of Jesus purchased all of this for you as a free gift. Undeserved. And by accepting the gift... And by accepting all that he paid for, not just part, all, you bring him glory. For it is all about him. The innocent, blameless lamb who was slain without defect or blemish. The one who sits enthroned above it all. The king of kings and lord of lords. It is all about him. Don't reject what he paid for. Accept it, all of it, and use it to bring him glory all the days of your life. For he is worthy of that. Revelation 5.9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, you are so worthy. You are so worthy, Lord, of all of our praise and our adoration. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And you reign. You reign on this earth, Lord. We declare that you reign. Jesus, we thank you. For, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for the blood shed on the cross. Lord, you knew Right from the beginning of time, Lord, you knew the sacrifice. Lord, you knew what you needed to do to bring us back into relationship with you. And God, I pray that we would never take the cross for granted. Lord, would we never underestimate the free gift that you gave us. And I pray, Lord, that we would take hold of everything that you purchased for us on the cross. Lord, everything that your blood paid for. I pray that we would not leave one bit of it on the shelf, God, but we would take it and use all of it to bring you glory all the days of our life. You are such a good God. You are such a good God and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Well, for those of you out there that, that don't yet know if your eternal future is secure... Now would be a good time for you to just draw near to God. Um, As the Bible tells us, draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. Um, God has been gracious to us in presenting to us one of the clearest gospel messages that you will ever hear. So you are without excuse right now to give your whole heart, body, mind and soul to Jesus. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and uh, would, would invite you to join with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming into this world. As a sacrifice. So as I pray this, you just repeat uh, out loud if you want to get right with God. Help me to believe in you, Jesus. I stand before you, a sinner, condemned without your blood. I have no righteousness of my own. I have no goodness in myself. I ask that you would have mercy on me. Forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me and wash me with your precious blood. I need the life that you have. And by faith, I receive you now. I receive the power of your blood to cleanse me and make me whole. Thank you for transforming me. I believe I am now your son. Establish me in your house as a daughter of the Most High God. Thank you for transforming my life from that which was worthless to something which is worthwhile.